the corner. Hyman without a stick. Ray to start on the pass to Quad. Block. He's got it again. Matthews to center. Created by diehard Leeds fans for diehard Leeds fans. This is the Holy Mackinac Podcast with Clayton Terrio, Danny Horton, and Brett Wills. Welcome to the Holy Mackinac Podcast. I am your host, Clayton Terrio, here again with Danny Horton and Brett Wills. How's it going, guys? Good, buddy. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. Hanging in there, Clay. What's going on? Not a whole lot. I'm, uh, I wouldn't say over the sadness of our of our first round exit, but um, I'm doing better than I was last week. That's for sure. And it's been uh, interesting to reflect on it. And I'm over the uh, reactionary uh, comments of trading this player, that player. I'm not really like that anyway, but it seems a lot of fans are still pretty pissed off at Marner and, and Matthews, but they're young. They got a long future ahead of them, but so Two days after the exit, there was the press conferences, and obviously, as usual, is professional rhetoric. But I, I feel, I always feel obligated to watch it just to see kind of how the players are feeling. And the one that really stuck out to me was Shanahan. He took the first five minutes of his presser to say sorry to the fans, and you know we wanted to do better for Ontario because we've been hit pretty much the hardest by COVID in Ontario. And I felt he really owned up to the the loss. And even though he's not a player, he seems very confident in this group. Uh, they're all really young. And I think I think they'll learn eventually personally. Um, Dubis is too. I liked Dubis. Dubis was very, very honorable, very, you know, de- not overly defensive of the players, but at least he was – confident in their abilities but uh Danny we'll start with you what what did you think of the presses or pressers was there any anything that stood out to you all right I'll I'll start with uh I'll start with Shanny's and you know I kind of echo some uh, most of your sentiments there uh Clay where uh he was very professional you know he owned it that's what you expect from Brendan Shanahan it's not his first rodeo He's been in Toronto for several years now Uh, he, he knows the market plus from his former playing days he knows he knows what it's about, and he knows the passion, and he knows that uh, they disappointed. He's pissed off too. I'm sure they they had aspirations of making a very deep run, and they're pissed off. Um, so I, I love that he he owned everything, and he he was quite frank and honest about it. Um, my takeaways, I guess, from Shanny's um, his comments, uh, you know, was more mostly about killer instinct. I was really curious to hear from. Um, a former player and especially a former player of that caliber of Brendan Shanahan, hockey hall of fame player. Um, He, he spoke, he spoke about it and he said that he believes that it's something that can be learned. I, I was kind of taken back by that, but who am I to second guess Brendan Shanahan? Um, I I'm kind of of the mindset or I was of the belief that you either have killer instinct or you don't, you you either have it or you don't, you know, built in you. Um, these guys seem to, to wilt under pressure for some reason. Um, I sure hope Shanny's right, and I have no reason to doubt him. I fully believe in the management team. I think they know what they're doing. Um, it, it's challenging. He also spoke about the flat cap, and he alluded to, to challenges there. Uh, obviously, when they signed uh, their core four, we'll call them, uh, they, they believed that the cap was going up, and that would help them, and that's why they were projecting and maybe overpaid at the time, uh, especially on Mitch Marner's part. Um, but you know, nobody could have predicted a global pandemic. Nobody saw that coming. Um, so it's, it's kind of just what they have to deal with. So yeah, I thought Brendan Shanahan answered everything very well. He was very honest and I guess no real surprises. I just, I liked hearing the comments about, you know, killer instinct. And I liked how he spoke Frank about it and said, whether, you know, this group can learn it internally or we go externally. I thought that was kind of interesting, but obviously no tip of a cap. He backed the core four as well, said that he loves these players and any team in the league would love to have any one of these players. They have four. (laughs) Uh, They're very fortunate to have those players. Um, Maybe, maybe kind of 
protecting them, you know, voicing his, uh, um, you know, giving them sort of the, uh, you know, the, the protection there, the halo over them. But let's see what happens, you know, come the off season and coming up to the draft. I think if the right deal presents itself, anybody's available. Uh, as for Kyle Dubas, um, no, no real, no real takeaways for me for Dubas. Like he, he did his job again to me, much like Shanny's, um, they, they owned it and they talked about it and yeah, he has to support his guys. Um, he goes to bat for these guys. And I, I actually thought Kyle did a masterful job this year. Um, the way him and Brandon Pridham managed the cap and, uh, the depth that they, they had and accrued in the lineup. I thought was fantastic. Uh, it's just unfortunate. They, it, it didn't work out for whatever reason. And um, they're going to be motivated to go back to the drawing board and hopefully rectify this because if any team and any fan base deserves, you know, a turnaround here, it's us boys. And, you know, I guess we just have to believe it's coming. Yeah, I think so. And it's, it is, it is hard to really touch on it. Like, like I said, they're not going to really give anything away. They're not going to give secrets away and they're not going to shit on their team. Like they built it. What are, they're not going to, they're not going to be, you know, defeatist about it. They're professionals. What, what about you, Brad? What, what did you think about the, the press conferences? Was there anything that stood out to you? I um, not really. I mean, Danny's touched on an awful lot. Um, I, I want to praise Brandon Pridham. Um, ahead of Kyle Dubas, not because I don't like Kyle Dubas. I love Kyle Dubas, but I mean, the Catbologist did it again. And I mean, obviously they fell short. Um, it seems like it's a recurring theme and we keep saying it, they fell short, they fell short year after year, but without a guy like that, you have no chance anyway. Uh, with, uh, with this thought about killer instinct, and I, I hate that I'm, I'm disagreeing with Danny. Um, yeah, I think that it's something that um, I, I, I watch a lot of hockey. I, I watch hockey from sixteen-year-olds uh, all the way up, and uh, I, I think it's something that um, it, 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 in a lot of circumstances, I think I feel that it is. It is learned. Um, th- this this idea where you draft a, we'll, we'll take a Tom Wilson, and I don't want to talk about Tom Wilson because I think uh, some of the stuff he does is scum of the universe level. But we'll take a guy like Tom Wilson that uh, was drafted 11th overall, and he was highly touted as a, as a guy that w- could put the puck in the net. And he gets to Washington, and they take him aside, and they say, you make this team by grinding it out. And, that, and that's fair, but he had to learn to grind it out. He, he, he but he, I, I understand that he, he, he did, did that in the OHL. He, he was highly touted coming out, out, out of his OHL junior, uh, draft years. Um, but again, you learn that. It's not, it's something that you don't have right, right away. You have to learn how to properly hit. You have to learn how to properly grind, grind, sorry, how to properly box a guy out. You learn all these skills and you learn what killer instinct is. You, you understand the concept, but it, it, it's something that doesn't come to you naturally. They say, I, I think it's bullshit that people say you either have it or you don't. No, 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 no. You, you, you learn it. You, you really, you, you, you learn what killer instinct is. And when, when you're a professional hockey player or a professional athlete, you have to have that killer instinct or you have to learn about that killer instinct or your job is not there next year. Yeah, that's true. And I think, I think too, like the hitting aspect, especially like you go from the OHL where you're playing with people who are still developing as a man, let alone as a, hockey player and I think you do have to learn to hit at this level especially like I don't know it's hard I I don't know I'd say some people are born with it innately as an athlete but most people have to learn it I'd say it's a very rare quality to just kind of develop into as a young person 
I think, I think you have to learn at the NHL level to do it, but we'll see. I mean, like you said, Danny and, and you, Brett, like Shani and, and Pridham and, and Dubas, they seem to know what they're doing. Um, I, I can't doubt a guy who's won three Stanley Cups. Like, I just can't. Like, Brandon Shannon's won gold medals in Stanley Cups. He, he knows what it's about. But, yeah, I mean, Danny, do you want to add something there? Yeah, I, I just – I wanted to touch on uh, on Killer Instinct. Like, it, it's not that I, I necessarily don't, uh, you know, agree somewhat with what Brett said as well and what you're saying too, Clay. I do believe – it can be learned. And especially when a guy like Brendan Shanahan, to me, it speaks volumes. I just feel like in me as like a competitor and by no means do I play at any level that these guys do, but you know, just a competitor in in the sports that I play, like say in golf, I, I want to beat you. Like I, I don't, I'm not there. Like I thrive under, I prefer the pressure pressure situations. I play better. To me, to me, I focus it. And uh, Clay, you and I are are huge Tiger Woods fans. We we grew up watching just the master of uh, he's the men- mental mind master. He 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 is the epitome of killer instinct in an athlete. He will he will stomp on your throat when he has the chance, especially in his prime. Um, that that's who I idled myself after. I I loved as an athlete. That's why I love Tiger Woods. His skill set is one thing. But his mental, his mental abilities are unbelievable. And that, that's what makes him even far superior than, than everyone else in his generation. So it, it's not that I don't believe it can be learned. But if you listen to Brendan Shanahan's comments, he did say that, you know, we have to learn it internally. And he touched on externally. And the reason I believe that he, he mentioned externally is because sometimes to learn that, I think in order to learn that internally, you have to have external help help come in that have ha, that have done it before and that know how to do it to show those guys. And I think in my mind, what that means is, you know, during pressure situations, we saw this team. Let's look. Let's look at Game Five. Back to Game Five and Game Six. Game Seven was a little bit different. Montreal just played better in Game Seven. Leafs were, you know, holding back a little bit, but I think it was a defensive chess match. Let's go back to Game Five and Game Six. In Game Five and Game Six, the Leafs did not start on time. They just did not start on time. They admitted admitted to such, right? They came out slow. They came out tentative. They sat back in the hockey game and they let Montreal dictate the pace. They let Montreal score the first goal, first couple goals, it, 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 three in the in the one game, three in game five, two in game six. And then they started to come back and play their game. There is a difference when they were down because then there's no pressure. You have to be able to thrive under pressure situations. That to me is what killer instinct is when, when it, when it's uh, when the game's played at its hardest and it has the most pressure on, you need to rise to the occasion and you need to channel that inner anxiety because ev- everyone gets nervous, right? We're all human beings. We all get nervous. We've all, regardless of the level of sport that we've played at, we've all felt that, that pressure, that, that inner anxiety, but the best in the game, regardless of the sport know how to channel it and make it positive energy and use it as focus and a drive to beat you. Right. And I, I, I look, I looked at, I'll give you the example again. And I, I know I keep mentioning it, but every time I watch them, I just shake my head. Look at Boston. It, it is unbelievable to me. I was watching that game last night. Yes, they lost five, four. It was a, it was a tough game, but Holy shit. They're down five, two in the third period. Most teams would just, you know, wilt away. The game's over. Not those boys. Their big boys came out to play. They turned it on. They turned it up. They scored some goals to get them back in the game. And they made a game of it. They fell short. That's all you can ask for. Like that, That's what you ask for of your big boys. They need to show up regardless of the team, regardless of the sport, or else you're not going to have a chance. But yeah, not, not to beat a dead horse. You know, I, I do understand how killer instinct can be learned, but... I do believe some people are born with that. And I think you have to have a combination of both. You have to have people in your lineup that have that killer instinct and they have to be, they have to be important players. I don't think they could be, you know, they brought in uh, Joe Thornton and, and Jason Spezza and no knock on them. They played fantastic. But when you're, when your leaders are your third and fourth line players, that's not good enough. You need, they need to be important players playing big minutes out on the ice and they need to carry or pick up the level of play of their teammates. 
And you need your big boys to do that. I, I think they need to bring in somebody to play with those boys to, to help them, help them along the way, because I believe in our, in our, in our core players' abilities. There's no question of that. Absolutely. And I think Spetsa, like Spetsa and Thornton, though, like the one thing I noticed even in game seven is they were skating harder than the guys that are freaking 20 years younger than them because they have, they've been there before they they've done it. Like Spetsa, I believe Spetsa had four or five goals, which was either tied with Nylander or second on the team in goals. Like he has it. He clearly does. He, he scores big goals at big times. And even, even last year in the bubble against Columbus, you had a 36 year old Jason Spezza fighting one of the Columbus guys, which in turn gave us that emotion to come back in the third down three goals with three minutes left. So I do agree with you though. I think we need guys like Thornton and Spezza that are a little bit younger that can play the first and second line minutes, a guy like Zach Hyman, but with more experience. And I'm not saying Hyman specifically, but the, the experience, right. is big. Yeah, I'd say that and and more skill. I'll get into a couple players later on. I know we want to touch on maybe uh, three key players that you know we would we would like <laughs> later yeah, on. But, sure. Yeah. Brett, do you have anything else to add to that, or, or are you good there? I, I'm good on uh, on Brendan and and Kyle's pressers. I, I have no other takeaways. Brett, yeah. you you good with that? You're muted. Yeah, no, no, I'm good with it. Um, I, I just want to. Uh reiterate what clay said i i mean a guy like jason spezza we're, we're talking about killer instinct i don't know if jason spezza had killer instinct at 18 years old when he came into the league i think he learned it again he's 38 years old or whatever he's been in the league almost 20 years i think he learned it and especially when he's touted as a guy that's supposed to be on your top line when he's 18 years old and now he's playing third or fourth line minutes in a different role, in a different stage in his career. I, I think that that's, in my opinion, that's what Killer, Killer Instinct is, was, and will be. I, I, yeah. I agree with you. I agree. I totally agree with you. I, I think Jason would have learned that from the teams that he's been on. He's been on some quality teams. He was on that Ottawa team that went to a Stanley Cup final uh, versus uh, the Anaheim Ducks and, and lost, I believe, and it was a game seven. Um so I, I, I do, I can see how it's learned, but I think there's guys that are naturally born with it. And I think that's why, Bre what Brendan meant by going externally and having to go externally, because you need to surround the guys that don't have it, that can learn it with those guys that already have it. And I think it's more, and again, I, I don't play professional hockey, nor do I pretend to, but I think it's more about confidence. The more I think about it, when you're out on the ice, it's a level of comfort and confidence. And if you have others out on the ice that are out there, you know, killing big minutes, um, continually playing their game, and it kind of settles the rest of the boys down, I think you can start playing your hockey game again, right? Instead of being tense and holding back because you're nervous and it's sort of an anxious energy, you need to press forward. You need to be able to, to be relaxed and just play the game and let, let it happen. In, in those, in those moments. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think we kind of all agree. Some are, some have it naturally. And, you know, I, I do think it can be learned. I, I do agree with you. And I, you know, I, you heard that from Brendan Shanahan. So um, clearly uh, he, he's played the game and he didn't win a Stanley cup. He alluded to until his 10th year in the league. So, you know, that is something you can learn, but I think you learn it from, from a group of people that some have it, some don't, and you do it together. And like Brendan alluded to, once you do learn it, it, it's something that you won't forget, right? But it, it's a hurdle I think they need to overcome as a group, as a team, and then it's learned, then it's retained. Um, let's hope they have the opportunity again next year. Yeah, and as painful and as painful of a 54 years we've had as, as fans and players of the team, like, man, they're only – like – Matthews and Lerner are 23 and 24 years old. Like they, they are still young men. Like they still have a lot to go. Like Ovechkin took 10 years to learn the, the playoff mentality and look what happened when he did. They were unstoppable that year. And who knows? We'll see. I I'm, I'm more patient than the average fan though. Like I want to win now. Don't get me wrong. But I also realize that they're they're very young and they they have a lot to learn still. 
you're not a complete player at 23 years old, unless you're Wayne Gretzky, like Crosby, a few of the guys you can name that were complete at 21 years old, but there's a long way to go. And the, the one, the last thing I'll say about killer instinct is recent memory of mine. The one player that I, I thought had it at a very young age was Maxime Comtois. He was the captain of team Canada at the world juniors. And the guy was just, throwing hits every opportunity he had he could score he could pass he could kill penalties he was on the power play like guys like that I think have it at a young age but it's like you say how, how can you doubt Brendan Shanahan I don't think it, I'm not going to doubt the guy three cups with the Red Wings is is no no easy feat to do salary cap before the salary cap or not it was those teams like even Iserman their captain that guy was a beast monster like absolutely crazy and then the last guy I remember as a child was Scott Stevens he had it Scott Stevens had it like he was terrifying terrifying to play against but uh that leads us to the the free agency we'll uh we'll stop beating the dead horse a bit there with the pressers but it's it's definitely something to think of but the free agents coming up there are I believe an average of eight UFAs per team it's one of the highest we've had in years um, I think you can thank the the salary cap freeze for that. But who are like, do, do you guys have any guys in mind that you're looking at in free agency? It, it's kind of a blur for me. I mean, like I was saying before the show, I, I love Ovechkin. He's a UFA, but that's just not going to happen. That That's a fantasy league mentality. But We'll start with you again, Danny. Like, who are some guys you've been thinking of that are upcoming free agents? Uh, here, I, I'm going to share my screen in a minute. I just, I, I wanted to comment. There was one more thing that I wanted to make a comment on about uh, the pressers and not, okay. not, man, not the management pressers. I wanted to get into the players. There was a few takeaways I had from the players. So uh, the order in which I watched their press conferences, I watched Austin Matthews first, um, and then I watched Mitch Marner's. Um, no real big takeaway in the Austin Matthews one, you know, I, I really liked how he, and you know, it's the right thing to say as well, but I, I truly think he, he believes it when, um, you know, they, they mentioned that uh, he's up for the lady Bing award, you know, voted on, uh, was it the Bing, the lady Bing or the, the Ted Lindsay award that they, that they announced it's Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, the, the lady, the lady Bing he's up for, um, he's nominated and that, that's by the players, right. Or is that the Ted Lindsay? I'm getting those mixed up. No, I think, I think, the lady Bing is by the players. Okay, so whatever award, whatever award it was that they mentioned, he's nominated with uh, uh, Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid. You know, he, I thought he said the right thing, but I, I truly believe that he meant that. You know, you know, it's an honor to you know to be mentioned in the same category as those guys and to be thought of by his peers. But um, it it doesn't even come close to anything you know that a team could accomplish together. And that that was their mission and that was their goal. And I you could see that you could see the hurt, you could see the pain and the disappointment uh, in his face. Uh, moving forward to Mitch Marners, I, I wanted to comment on Mitch Marners. There was one thing in his presser that kind of ticked me off a little bit. Uh, the question, and I'm paraphrasing, was Mitch, is there anything that uh, you would do differently uh, in in your next opportunity in the playoffs? And he flat out came out and said, nope. And that, that kind of bothered me. I was actually taken back. I was actually listening to that on my phone and my wife overheard and she, she turned and went, what? <laughs> and she was even pissed off by that. And I, I kind of looked at her and I went, wow, I, I, you know, I, that kind of pissed me off because clearly you would do something different. Clearly you have to do something different because what you did wasn't good enough. So you have to make adjustments, even just give the cliche, you know, I think yeah. we can all, we could all go back and, you know, we have takeaways and we can all get better. Just give me the cliche to say, nope, that implies that you did everything that you possibly could. And Mitch, we, we know the level of player you are. It, you, you weren't, you didn't play to your, your capabilities for whatever reason. And credit part of that is uh, credit to Montreal as well. Um, so that was my takeaway with Mitch. I then watched John Tavares after those two and the right away within the first like minute or two of John's John owned everything. You know, he did what a leader does and he did what a 30 year old would do. You could tell the maturity from John Tavares from the other guys. And, you know, it, it made me kind of take, take a, take a backseat for a bit and, and, and take a look and go, wait a second. These guys are 23 and 24 years old. 
that 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 makes a big difference, right? John John's been in the league for a very long time since he was 18 years old, 18, 19 years old. He's been around the block. He has so much experience. He knows what to say to the media and he has a mature approach to it. These guys, uh, the young guys are kind of, they get a little bit defensive at times and I get it. Like I, I couldn't imagine being criticized for doing my job by the media and people tweeting about you on Twitter and all that. That's what you're paid millions of dollars for though in, you know, kind of that, that that's just part of the business. That's part of the job. Right. But I get it. I understand it. It's not fun. Um, but you've got to persevere and be better than that. I thought John owned everything. He came out and flat out said we weren't good enough in game five and game six. Um, it just, there was no excuse for it. And he said that, and that that's exactly what you want to hear because there was no excuse for it. I love John's presser. I thought he was very honest. Uh, last but not least, uh, Joe Thornton, the biggest takeaway I took away from Joe Thornton's presser was, uh, when, when Joe, Joe was asked, you know, uh, again, paraphrasing, but, um, you know, what, what kind of happened, what kind of happened to the team? Uh, well, how can you, how can you summarize it? And Joe flat out said, uh, good teams show up on time and they skate on time. They skate hard. So what he said, you could tell, and he did admit, he said, it is fresh. It's still fresh. And, uh, they need to need to take a few more days to kind of, kind of get over it. But I thought that was pretty pointed. He didn't want to take any digs or any shots, but as a veteran who's been in the league for a very long time, he knew that they weren't skating well and they didn't come out and they didn't start because they were nervous and tentative. And, you know, I, I hope in his exit interview with, with Dubas and, and the management group and Sheldon Keefe, um, you know, I, I hope each player could be honest. And I, I think it's a learning lesson, right? That they can bring forward to, to next year's team, whether Joe is on the team or not. Um, so I, I just I just wanted to mention my takeaways uh, about about those interviews specifically. All right. So next we are going to talk about the free agents. And man, there's a lot, as you can see on this this page here, um, starting with my absolute dream of a free agent, if I were to pick is Obi. But we uh, we've already got enough forwards, as we discussed, over uh, 10 million. So that's that's a goner. But but uh Danny, we'll start with you. Are there any guys that really stick out to you that, that you think we should take a shot at? Yeah, okay. So looking at here, we can see the top 28. Um, we have to keep in mind that the Maple Leafs have, you know, not very much cap space. I think they have like $12.5 million or in and around that range. Um, and they have quite a few players to sign. Um, so it, it's it's kind of hard to predict, but I, I, can, I can pick out guys that, you know, I think would be of interest to the Maple Leafs and kind of explain why I think they would be of interest. It's just, can they make it work cap wise? Um, so, okay, let me, my, my eyes gravitate immediately to number 15, Dougie Hamilton. He's a Toronto area boy. He's a right-handed shot defenseman. He is a big point producing defenseman in 55 games. What I think he has 42 points, 10 goals, 32 assists. The, the guy has a shot from the power play quarterbacks, the Carolina power play. Right. So what's one of our, you know, our biggest issues. I, I don't think it's defensively anymore. I think the team competes hard enough in their D zone. So you, you kind of need, you need a quarterback power play defenseman and Dougie Hamilton is a, a top four defenseman for sure. Um, I think him and TJ Brody would be a fantastic, fantastic pair. So any of Dougie Hamilton's sort of defensive uh, liabilities, uh, would be covered up by TJ Brody, much like he did for Morgan Riley. And the guy's six foot six. He's a big boy. He's a big body. Um, 220 pounds, I believe, too. Uh, so that 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 piques my interest a little bit. I, I just wonder, you know, what would Dougie Hamilton command? I'm thinking gotta be in the the seven to nine million range. So that's tough, right? Like that that's difficult. I think the Leafs again, 12.5 million. <laughs> that that's a lot of money. They're they're gonna have to move some contracts around. Um, I would entertain bringing back Nick Felino at the right price. I think I mentioned that in the last podcast too. Uh, if he's interested, because I think at this point in Nick's career, he obviously wants to go cup chasing. You, you would think anyway. I, and I don't think, you know, obviously the options out there for him to return to Columbus. His family lives in the Columbus area. His kids go to school in Columbus. It's a, it's a comfortable place. And I think, you know, the door is wide open for him to go back there. I don't know what kind of salary you know, Nick Felino is going to command, like he's not a, 
he's not a point producing player anymore. He's a, he's a role player at this point in his career and, and a very good one at that. I think he's very serviceable. Um, and again, another Toronto area boy, uh, somebody who understands the market. And I thought we saw that in his, uh, his interviews and all that too. I think he said all the right things and showed very good leadership. Um, so I, I would definitely, I would definitely look at uh, Nick Felino if the price is right. I'm thinking around the $2 million mark uh, per year on maybe a, maybe a two or three year deal. Uh, Sam Reinhardt's a free agent from Buffalo. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he's he, he was one of the ones TSN was talking about the other night. He's a UFA. Yep. Wow. Oh um, no, RFA. He is RFA. So it's oh, right there. Yeah. He's, no, he's an R. Okay, because wow, when I when I, I thought automatically uh, UFA, I went see a Zach Hyman. It's um, still an option. You can still throw a deal at him. I uh, wow. Well, no, I, I obviously the Leafs can't do an offer sheet. They don't have the uh, the draft capital cap capital. Sorry. Um, oh yeah, to do five. so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're screwed. Yeah, we have three picks in seven rounds, and I think they're towards the back end of the draft. Um, but Sam Reinhardt, wow. Um, if you can't come to an agreement with Zach Hyman, Sam Reinhardt's a hell of a player, uh, and he adds a level of physicality and skill. Uh, I, I really like that player. I just think he's he's in a horrible situation in Buffalo. I actually thought he was one of Buffalo's better players. Even I mean, when I see there 25 goals on Buffalo is, is yeah, might as well be 40 on another team. And, and by no means am I, and when I say this, I don't, I'm not saying he's a better player than Jack Eichel because that's crazy. I, I'm not saying that at all. Jack Eichel is a far superior player and an elite player, but I'm just going to call a spade a spade when, when Jack was in the lineup. And again, I don't know how healthy he was because, you know, obviously he didn't play uh, the rest of the season with that neck injury, but Sam Reinhardt was one of their best players, if not their best player. He was, he was a really good player for them and he produced, he was one of the few that actually produced. Um, So, you know, that, that, you know, we'll see what happens with Zach Hyman. Maybe, maybe that's a guy, um, you know, you can bring in for around four and a half million, five million dollars. Because uh, I see him sort of as a Tyler Toffoli type player. And I think they would have similar stats too. And I think Montreal paid Tyler Toffoli around 4.25 on a four-year deal last year. Um, so I imagine that's what Sam Reinhardt's camp is probably going to look at and target. Is there maybe a trade there to be had where you can free up some salary and you fill one hole? Like say if, uh, say if you wanted to sign Dougie Hamilton and you knew you were going to lose Zach Hyman. Maybe is it a possibility that you you can move Morgan Riley for RFA Sam Reinhardt and you sign Sam Reinhardt to the money that you know you would hope to sign Zach Hyman for, assuming Sam Reinhardt wants you know around four point five million or four two five. So that's a possibility. Kind of scrolling down. Uh, I don't know if this is just um, you know form, former Leaf kind of kind of guy that I know and. Uh, but I, I would entertain at the right price. Uh, see Tyler Bozak's name there. You know, he's, he's 30. Yeah. He's top centerman. Like he, he wins most of his face offs. Yeah. And he's, he's 30. I understand he's 35 years old. He'll be 36 years old. Um, I wouldn't mind Bozy depending on the money that he'd want. Um, and you can see his numbers have dropped off considerably, but a very reliable two-way center. Um, I, I could see him on the third line. Like and then Spets on the fourth, assuming they're bringing Spets back, I could see Tyler Bozak doing that. I I think he's a very serviceable player. I really like Tyler Bozak. Um, I just you know haven't watched him the last few years in St. Louis, so I don't know how much he's dropped off. But um, can he still play that role? A good two way center that wins faceoffs that's serviceable. Um, moving down the list for me, mm, that's where it kind of starts to to drop. I mean. Brett, do you see any guys so far that that you would take a shot at? Because, like, it's I'm Dougie Hamilton is a great player, Danny. It's tough. Um, I'm I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at goalies because I'm a sucker. Um, because I don't think Freddie Anderson's coming back, and I'm starting to doubt if Jack Campbell can play sixty games. What about um, Anti Ranta there? I see Anti Ranta or Devin Dubnik. Uh the, the the names that popped out to me, um, and, and they're like they're they're pipe dreaming names. I think, um, it it would be nice to see maybe Reimer come back. <laughs> um, 
Grubauer. Grubauer, but Grubauer is a great goaltender, right? That would that would be the nicest, like <laughs> the nicest guy goaltandem ever if you had Jack Campbell backed up by James Reimer. But I, I totally agree. Like you, th- those are saints on the back end. You you, you might mention. <laughs> You mentioned Grubauer, Brett. I don't think there's a chance. If Colorado doesn't bring him back, they're crazy. But well, I'm, I'm also looking at... Uh, I agree. I'm also looking at uh, Chris Drieger. That, that's, the guy, I, that's the guy that I would target if I was the Leafs because I don't think he's going to command a lot. Is he not an RFA, though? Where, yeah, where's Drieger's name? Uh, I am looking again. I and... believe he's an RFA. No, he's a UFA. Wow, Where, where's and the where's the name? Did we? I don't. Crazy UFA. I mean, he's he's uh, he's yeah. Good. I know he's a UFA. Oh, hey, hey, and there, there's a name that I just saw too. I, I know I'm getting off topic with the goaltending. I, I'm I'm with you with that goaltender. I just saw Nick Benino's name. Nick Benino is a, a hell of a third line center too. Option. That's a guy that knows how to get it done. He's won cups in Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's a valid point. One guy, one guy that really sticks out if you're talking about, and I know this is down the list, there's two actually that stick out as defensemen would be Montour and Alec Martinez. The, those are two very reliable defensemen. Montour is a beast. The guy throws his weight around arguably he, as good as anyone on D. He didn't have very much fun in Buffalo, though. No, he didn't. I don't think anybody's having fun. Uh, no, and I don't mean that he, he didn't have fun. I don't think, like you were both saying, nobody has fun in Buffalo. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I don't, I don't think his numbers dictated how good of a hockey player he is. Yeah, and I and I don't, I don't think anybody truly knows how good of a hockey player he is because of where he played in Buffalo, right? So yeah. he, he had such opportunity or promise when he was in Anaheim and they made that deal. And I was I was so jealous at the time when they traded for Brandon Montour. I thought that was some guy that was a guy that the Leafs should go out and target at that time. And then he did really nothing in Buffalo. And um, you know, he had an opportunity there in Florida when he was dealt. I I, I think he's more of a depth defenseman at this point. And he'd have to earn a top a top four role. No, and Danny, I agree with you. Uh, my my concern is because he didn't have a great time in Buffalo. Is what can he bring to Toronto? Does he still have it mentally? Does he still have it emotionally? Mm. Sure, you know what. If you're a good hockey player, you're a good hockey player. But if you're putting a a spot where you get shit kicked for year after year, that that's got to weigh on you. You you're either going to come back strong or you're never going to be the same again and and that's the point like is he ready to to redeem himself does he have it in him to redeem himself the, the way the way i see it on the leaves defense since we're looking at free agents the way i see it on the leaves decor I, obviously we know tj brody will be there and we know Jake Muzzin will be there. I think there's some question. I think we could all agree. And I think everybody, and there's going to be huge speculation in the media um, about Morgan Riley and then moving Morgan Riley. He's got one year left on his deal. They can't let him walk to free agency. They can't, you can't just lose a player like that. They're not going to be able to afford to pay Morgan Riley unless they move other guys out. But I, I would rather pay a player like Dougie Hamilton or a Seth Jones if you can get a hold of them. But I, I, I like Dougie Hamilton. I like what he brings because he's a bit of the opposite of TJ Brody and, and Jake Muzzin. He, he's that power play offensive defenseman. You need to improve the power play. That's one of the reasons why we lost that postseason series. We could not produce on the power play. If the Leafs could produce on their power play and it was clicking, uh, Montreal would be buried. Like they, they wouldn't have a chance in the series. So that, that is a big area of need that this team needs to address as well. Another player that just caught my eye, th- this guy's a beast, and I, I don't know if he's going to – I can see New York uh, re-signing him. Casey Sezikis, he's, he's an Oakville boy. <laughs> um, I've, I've met him before. He's a hell of a player, man. He was out there, he was out there in the final minutes last night uh, play, playing crunch time minutes, trying to kill off that fury by the Boston Bruins at the end of the game. At Casey yeah, Zekas, uh grandma, the year that the Steelheads uh, hosted the Mem Cup, I sat beside her. Sat beside her at a Mem Cup final, it, it, and we we just 
she just kept talking about her grandson. And I was like, so who's your grandson? Who's your grandson? And she's been, she talked about Casey for like an hour and a half. And I was like, oh, okay. And, and she's absolutely right. Like he was a good hockey player back in junior. Uh, he's obviously developed his game to be a pro. Um, no, that would be a great pickup. He's a hell of a player. I just can't see Lula Morello and the New York Islanders letting him go. To be all, to be honest with you. Now, mind you, they have some other free agents. Um, like I think, isn't Kyle Palmieri a free agent? They, they've got some guys that yeah, they, they, they traded for Palmieri as a rental because he was in the last year of his deal. He his time in New Jersey was was up or wherever the hell. I think it was New Jersey. Yeah. So like they, they've got to, they've got to think long and hard about that too. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what Casey Zizekas is going to command. Like what, what is it? What is his salary currently? Is it like two something? He won't get much oh. more than that at 30. No. Cause he's not a, he's not a point guy. He he's probably around the 1.5 to $2 million range and what he does, but man, oh man, that's a guy that has killer instinct. That guy knows how to get it done. Guy for sure. He, oh, he him is a huge locker room guy. Him and uh, Cal Clutterbuck, another another guy, not necessarily that that I'd love to see or anything like that, but I think a guy that Kyle Dubas will take a long hard look at is uh, Mikhail Granlin, because I think there was rumblings in the past of Mikhail Granlin and Dubas trying to go out and acquire him. So I think that's another guy that the Leafs may may look at. Um, look, looking at this uh, free agent list, there's a lot of good free agents. And if you go back to goalies, you know what? The number one, the number one touted I see on this whole list so far, Peter Mrazek. Peter Mrazek is a beast of a goalie, man. He's actually arguably one of the best in the league. Like he, he was hurt this year though, for most of the year, but you see there eight games played or 12 games played three shutouts like that's that was a tough division too you got Tampa and Florida in that division and I it's not that I don't think Peter Morazic is a good goaltender I I think he's a pretty good goaltender I don't know how good he is I also know that Carolina is one of the better defensive teams in the league right and they have isn't um like I have I haven't been watching that series uh, that closely but um isn't Nedeljkovic in for them or have they been kind of rotating in and out until they lost game one and two against Tampa. Mrazic came in in game three, got the win game four. He got absolutely let down by his entire team. They just hung him out to dry in that game. Tampa scored, I think five goals on him on like 25 shots. Tampa had more power play goals in the second period than the Leafs had in their seven game series. Yeah. Tampa, Tampa was down 4-2, and they came back and won 6-4. They're, they're, I mean? a, they're a fucking beast of a hockey team. Oh, God, it's sickening. <laughs> um, another name that sticks out, and I know I know it's our heated rivals, but Philip Deneau, he proved he could be a shutdown center. He, oh, it- he, he contained Marner and Matthews better than most people I've ever seen personally. I mean, I thought he was great. And he's a free agent. Interesting. What what does he make currently? I just can't see because they uh, the chat one two five or three point zero eight three three million eighty three thousand three thirty three. Yeah, I I can't see him getting much more than that. But just keep in mind, boys. Like we really don't have a lot of room, and unless unless Dubis gets really creative, like. I was watching. Um, I was watching Andrew Pillick, uh, his hockey video today, and um, you know he he was talking about uh, you know moving out moving out some salary to create a little bit more flexibility and free agency. Riley Nash is another name there too that I would consider uh, at the right price. There's so many good depth options, but um, yeah, he he was he was mentioning you know moving out in Alex Kerfoot. And that, that's kind of what I, I see I foresee happening. I think Alex Kerfoot's salary his three point five million dollar salary there or thereabouts um, is either going to be, he's either going to be selected by Seattle or I see them moving him at the draft for a pick so they can move up into either the second or third round. Cause I think they'd get a second or a third round pick for Alex Kerfoot and maybe, maybe a package Travis Dermott with him to a team. Um, you know, that isn't, that isn't that deep and, or maybe, maybe even just after the expansion draft, if they, if he doesn't get selected, but I think it's Kerfoot or Hall that's gone in the expansion draft, in, in my opinion. So keeping that in mind, like you've got to, you've got to clear out some salaries here, right? Um, I don't think, and, and Pillick, Pillick mentioned, you know, he, he was adamant about 
you know, trading Mitch Marner's salary and his, his 11, 11, almost $11 million salary. That's, I don't see that happening at all. And I think that would be a very foolish move. There's very few players that you could trade Mitch Marner for that would make any sense. And I think the only names that I could think of off the top of my head, one, you know, it's been mentioned out there before, uh, Jack Eichel. I'm going to throw another one out there um, that no one has mentioned. And the reason why I brought it up in a conversation, I, I thought it was I thought it was kind of unique um, and very interesting. And, and this is the first time I'm mentioning it to you guys as well. But I'll, I'll throw this one out there for you. OK, and this all started because I saw a meme. You know, there's so many memes out there after we got eliminated again and um, I, I, this is the first time I could actually laugh at them as a Leaf fan. I used to defend them all the time, but now I just laugh at them. Um, there was one meme where it was like Tobey Maguire uh, from Spider-Man, and he, he didn't have his glasses on, and he's squinting. And then directly across from it was a picture of Matthews and Marner. And then he put his glasses on in the, in the, in the photo directly below, and across from that photo was uh, a picture of DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. And I thought it was very interesting. So it made me think, like, wait a second. What the Raptors had to do, now mind you, the Raptors uh, won playoff series. They just couldn't get over the hurdle of LeBron James in the Eastern Conference until he left. But in order to get over the hurdle, Masai Ujiri traded one of his core players, that in DeMar DeRozan, and he brought in a killer, one with killer instinct. I thought that was very interesting. And the parallels, I know it's a different sport, but kind of crosses over. So it got me thinking, I was having this conversation with a buddy and he goes, you know, let's go over what Kawhi meant to the Raptors. So he, he started, you know, mentioning, well, Kawhi Leonard was this, you know, uh, he, he had been there, he had done that, he knows how to win, he gets it done in big game situations. He goes, who would be that player in hockey? The only name that I could think of, and I'm not, I'm not saying this trade would happen. Um, it's a very interesting one, though. Salaries work out almost exactly. Patrick Kane in Chicago. Veteran player. He's like 33 years old, and I know Mitch Martyr's 23 years old. I think there's eight, there's either uh, eight or 10 years difference in there, and I know there's quite a big difference. But if you want to win now, like, and your goal is to win now, you have Austin Matthews for three more years, guaranteed, and then you just pray to God that your team's still competitive enough and you can convince him to re-sign here and he could be a lifelong Leaf. But you have three years with Austin Matthews and four more years of John Tavares. Your window is now. An interesting one that nobody has mentioned, Patrick Kane for Mitch Marner and their salaries match up almost identical. It's like $400,000 apart in salary. I, I, I like it. And the reason I like it is because I don't know if Jonathan Taves is coming back. Uh, he was injured last year, right? Uh, and who knows what was wrong with him. We could, we could all speculate. But uh, no, I, I like it. They, they bring a guy like that in. Um, with uh, Debrinket. Um I, I could see it happening for them. Um, I, I would take Patrick Kane in a heartbeat. You just, you just think what he means, eh? Like, the guy gets it done. He understands how to play playoff hockey. He's been there. He's won three Stanley Cups, and he's not falling off at all. If you take a look at the top 10 uh, players in league scoring, he's there every single year. Every single year. I think he was just behind Matthews and Marner this year. I think it went like McDavid, Dreisaitl, McKinnon, Matthew, uh, Marner, Matthews. And then I believe Patty Kane was right behind them. He, yeah, he was he, unbelievable. Yeah, and he's proved he can do it without Taves. I think one of the big question marks was that one-two was a hell of a one-two punch. Like, like you had Sod with them as well. You had Panarin with them. Like, And they they won with both players. And it's like he definitely answered the bell. He was the leader on that team this year. Like Chicago had no right being in a playoff race and he was just keeping them in there. And, and we, he can pass, he can score as well. He can do it all. He can. He, he's such a leader and he's such a force out there. He's a power play guy. He can do everything. But um, yes, yeah, some, and he, I, he'll be up for the heart. You watch when the, when the heart nominees come out, he'll be up for the heart because I'd say at the midway point, I, th I thought Patty Kane was going to, he would be the Hart Trophy winner if it wasn't for ridiculous Connor McDavid. Like the guy's just ridiculous. Like a hundred, what do you have? Like 120 points? Yeah, like 108 or 10. He, he was on pace. Sorry, he was on pace for like something ridiculous. He had over a hundred. That's two points a game almost in a 56 season. That, 
that's that's ridiculous. That that is absolutely insane. And Drysaddle was the next closest. They play on the same team, and he was what over like twenty points or something like that difference. Yeah, that, and they call him McJesus for a reason in Edmonton. So absolutely. So if it wasn't for him, I'd say Patty Kane uh, would win the Hart Trophy. But you watch; he'll be nominated for the Hart Trophy. He is uh, fantastic. But uh, you hear that you heard that here first. That rumor. <laughs> You're here first, definitely. And and the one thing I'll add, I know it's a bit of a pipe dream thing, but if we got the first overall pick a year before Matthews, we would have had McDavid. Like ultimately, like I I I was having this discussion with my buddy, he's a Flames fan, but he he's a hockey fan in general. And he we were saying how McDavid's in a league of his own, but then you've got like a five or six way tie for second most dynamic in the league right now. And that would be, I think we said Dreisaitl, McKinnon, uh, Matthews, Payne, and I. he added a fifth player. I can't remember. I think it might've been Ovechkin and Crosby that we said as well, but it's Ovechkin and Crosby are also kind of on their own level. Like it's, it's hard to to do a one through five other than McDavid. Like you have no McDavid's number one, always to me. Like he he's generational. But we've got some huge guys in hockey now. It's a fun sport to watch. There's so many good guys. Like it, we're we're missing Brad Marchand and David Pasternak. Like and those two. And you know, not to discount Patrice Bergeron, fantastic player, uh, first ballot Hall of Famer, but. Those two players, the pa- Pasta and um, and Marchant specifically, those two are superstars. Like I hate I I hate Brad Marchant with a passion, but boy oh boy, the more you watch this guy play, especially in the playoffs, the, that guy just knows how to get it done, man. Like I, I'm envious. I watch him. I go, wow, he is just a fucking hell of a hockey player. He knows how to get it done, and his size does not matter. He doesn't make it a factor. It's only a factor for those that that view it that way. He doesn't give a shit. He goes to the dirty areas and he plain old gets the job done with high-end skill and talent. Yeah, that goal he scored last night was just like disgusting. And, and don't get me wrong, I enjoy watching Marshawn play when he's not being an idiot. Like when he's not being an idiot, he's one of the most dynamic players in the league. Like he doesn't have to spear people and punch them in the back of the head. Just beat them with your stick, putting the puck in the net, dude. I, I think in my in my opinion, I think that's what gets him going. I think because you notice when he's not playing that way, he's not at his best. I think I think that's just his personality, and he's a bit of a shithead like that. But you know what? I I would take that guy on my team any day of the week. What a what a player! The guy knows how to get it done, both regular season and playoffs. You could tell. Now he to Brett's point earlier in the podcast, I, that is something he learned because Boston did have failure early on. Um, in in their tenure, uh, when him and Bergeron were young, they they lost. Nobody talks about it. Everyone forgets about it. Especially Boston fans will never mention it. But they were one of the only, I think, seven teams or six teams in NHL history to ever be up three zero in a series and lose. They were up three zero, I think, in two thousand nine or two thousand and ten on on the Philadelphia Flyers, three games to none, and I was either the first or second series. They were dominating Philly. Philly came back, sent it to a game seven. Boston went up three, nothing in game seven. They lost game seven, four, three and the series four, three. So they've had their hardships too. They, they had to learn along the way as well. So um, that's a, that's another, another parallel. And one, one more parallel. I just wanted to mention since we're on that topic, since I touched on that, there is an interesting article written by Larry Brooks in the New York post and I know he's a New York Rangers sort of beat writer and a New York City reporter, but he was uh, he was writing about the Maple Leafs, and he touched on uh, the parallel between the Maple Leafs and the early 1990s Detroit Red Wings, and it got me thinking. I, I thought that was very interesting. I, I kind of I had to look into it to find out um, you know what what happened to Detroit. So Detroit with a young Steve Eiserman and, and a really good team, they kept dominating in the regular season. They kept first place in their division in the regular season playoffs would come around. Uh, they would lose in the first round, lose in the second round, lose in the first round. Uh, they're kind of sputtering. And there was actually talk in Detroit and criticism about trading Steve Eiserman. Nobody talks. Yeah. Nobody talks about that now, but at the time they thought Steve Eiserman was a bust and he couldn't get the job done. So I kind of like the parallels. And then, so I, I, I thought, you know, well, what did they do differently? 
well, guess the player that they went out and got. And th- this is this is kind of interesting. Um, they went out and acquired Brendan Shanahan in 1990. Yeah, from 1995 or 1996. And they won 1997, 98 Stanley Cup or 98, 99. I think it was 97, 98. 97, 98 because uh, yeah. 99 was Dallas. There you go. There you go. And then I think Jersey probably won in 2000. So. Yeah, or, there you or go. Colorado. Oh, I mean, that's and that how ironic is that that Shanahan was the guy they brought in. So, who are we to doubt Brandon Shanahan saying you can learn it? Because clearly, Iserman learned it. He was a bust in the play. Like, and even like I know recent history and I know they had success after 04, but Tampa Bay, don't forget, they got swept by Columbus two years ago and look what they did the year after they won the cup. Like, it you can overcome adversity and I think it's it's only a matter of time to me and I'm not just saying that as a Leaf fan like if you look at the Capitals the Lightning the teams that failed and failed and failed before winning it's it's a close example of what the Leafs are doing right now so we'll see but in terms of so we touched on it a bit in the free agents but in terms of the expansion draft who do you guys think is going to go me personally I think Kerfoot, unless again we trade him for a pick or Dermot, that's got to be the only two because Sandine can't even be unprotected. He's a RFA. Bogosian is a U- UFA. Like we have so many UFAs that it really depends who we sign, but it's got to be Dermot or Kerfoot. I don't know what you guys think. Well, I think I touched on it the first uh, the first uh, episode that we uh, we had. I, I, I'm a hundred percent certain that it's it's Dermot. I don't want it to be Dermot. I, 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 like I said, I really liked him, but uh, he, he, he's failed me. He's let me down. He's, he's broke my heart. He's not the player that I thought he was. Um, leave him unprotected. He, he's going to go. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's between uh, one of three players. Um, I think it's either Kerfoot, Hall, or like you guys mentioned, Travis Dermott. Uh, it just all depends you know, when Seattle gets around to, you know, selecting from Toronto, what, what team have they already assembled? What players have they picked from other teams first, right? That's where, that's how it's, it's all going to shake out. I think Justin Hall would be very enticing. He's only at $2 million. He's arguably a top four defenseman. He certainly is for us. So why can't he be for, for anyone else? He, he logs big minutes and he plays against the opposition's best. Look what he did against Connor McDavid this season. Him and him and Muzz shut down McDavid and Drysaddle. It was insane during the regular season, mind you. Um, but so that's why I think either Justin Hall or Kerfoot. But I think I think the Leafs are trading Kerfoot if he doesn't get selected. I I think it would be foolish to not protect Justin Hall because you only have to leave two unprotected on beat. So like if they don't protect Justin Hall, they're taking a risk. Okay, so. Let, let, let's go through it then. Who who would you protect? Because it's um, you could go, isn't it like six and two? Or how how, do, how does it work with the numbers and pick? Like you I could protect eight you players. Have leave, you have to leave something like four unprotected on offense and two unprotected on defense. Well, no, you you could only you could only you could only protect so many players. I think it's like eight players total. There, there's some sort of combination. I don't know if we could bring up there is that link that um, that we were kind of going over earlier that you sent. Yeah, yeah, our... no, I'll bring it up because it, it's something like that. It's it's not it's you not as only... many as I thought it was. To be honest, I was kind of surprised by the rules. I thought it was a little less. I thought I thought it's less stringent than I thought it was, but. I'll just pull up the link and we'll we'll look because because here if we if we just count them off the bat while you're pulling that up, um, obviously Austin Matthews, obviously Mitch Marner, obviously John Tavares. That's three. Obviously William Nylander. That's four. Um, clearly, you're going to protect Morgan Riley unless you deal him beforehand, right? Um, so you're going to protect Morgan Riley. You're going to protect uh, TJ Brody. You're going to protect uh, Jake Muzzin. If you're only allowed eight, so here we'll go. We'll go kind of through these rules. But if you're only so, allowed eight with a goalie, or or is it one play? So I'll read. I'll read the the what the NHL rules are. So when making players unavailable in the draft, teams can protect seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goalie, or eight skaters and a goalie with these provisions. So players with no movement clauses who decline to waive those clauses must be protected. 
So obviously Tavares anyway. We, yeah. we wouldn't unprotect him anyway. First and second year NHL players and all unsigned draft choices are exempt from selection. So Dermot, we don't even have to touch, which is good. Or not Dermot, sorry, Sandine. Sandine. Um, one available player must be a defenseman who is under contract in 21-22 and played at least 40 games in this past season or 70 games combined in the two before that. Two available players must be forwards who are under contract and the same provisions, 40 games last year and 70 games combined the two years before that. One player must be a goalie who is under contract or, or who is a restricted free agent. And then players who miss the final 60 games or who have otherwise been confirmed to have career-threatening injury cannot be exposed. But luckily, we don't have any of those. Okay, so so the Leafs are probably going to go with the – sorry, I can't, I can't, I can't see the, uh, the top part of this um, where it was defined the amount of players or whatnot. Uh, Seven forwards, three defensemen. Seven so, forwards, three defensemen with a goalie or eight skaters and a goalie, right? It can be, yeah, it, or eight skaters and a goalie if you don't want to go seven, three. But I think, I think safe to say it'll be Tavares, Marner, Nylander, Matthews, without that, a doubt. Yep, that's four. And then you're going to go Riley. You're going to go Muzzin. You're going to go Brody. That's seven. Okay, so if you wanted to go the route where you could protect eight plus one, then you could protect Hall. And then obviously Jack Campbell as your goaltender. And yeah. then and then that's it. That's that route. But if you go the other route, then you're protect then you're adding in Kerfoot. I don't think they're gonna do that. So I they're probably gonna go with the eight plus one, in my opinion. Yeah, they pretty much have to. I mean, again, letting Hall go at that money would be absolutely foolish, in my opinion. I mean, the guy's proven he can do it. Like He's one of my favorite defensemen on the team, to be honest. He's just a shutdown guy, which is what we needed, to be honest. Like, he, now you have Muzzin, Brody, and Hall. If you don't protect those three, you're nuts, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. And I, I, I think you round it out by you trade Morgan Riley, you bring in more of like that Dougie Hamilton power play defenseman uh, to pair with TJ Brody. And then you have Rasmus Sandin, and then you try and sign Zach Bogosian or a player like Zach Bogosian. And that fills out. That fills out your decor. It's much of the same, but you've added the uh, the extra addition and um, support there on the power play with an offensive, a big-bodied offensive player. If you sign Dougie Hamilton, so I I, I kind of like the way that shapes out. I do I I agree with you there. Um, I some people are talking about Timothy Lilligren being a part of this team. I don't see him being any more than a depth player. Maybe the seventh D on the team. I I just I don't see him being in the starting night roster. If he is, something big time is wrong. Like, I, I I don't think you can just automatically gift Rasmus Sandin a top four spot. I think that's putting him, putting a lot of pressure on a very young kid who has, you know, somewhat limited experience yet and at the NHL level. If you're trying to, if you're trying to develop this player, that doesn't mean that you can't give him power play time, um, like secondary power play time, assuming they address that, that primary need and deal Riley. Um, but, uh, I think sheltering them a little bit, pairing them with a defense, uh, a defenseman that's, uh, defensively minded and, uh, can clear the front of the net and help them out there physically, like, uh, like a Zach Bogosian and bring him back with a little familiarity. I think that would be in the Leafs best interest. Definitely. And we will see what happens. I mean, I think it's like July 23rd. I'll be watching the expansion draft. I think expansion drafts are, are exciting because you, you see what the GM can do, like. Vegas proved that it's not a dying art to be able to do it. I mean, look at that Stanley Cup final in the first year. Like, that's just unheard of, and I realize that. But St. Louis did it in 68. They lost to the Bruins, but they still did it. And so we'll see. It's going to be cool having 32 teams. I feel like the NFL now with 32 teams – yeah, yeah, no, no kidding. But uh, yeah, to to the point about uh, Vegas, I, me personally, I think that's a bit of an anomaly. Um, I actually, I don't like how their uh, their draft pick it isn't Vegas. Uh, they're exempt from the expansion draft too. Yeah. Right. But 
they've they've created a new rule in this expansion draft. So like Vegas did, they took they took advantage and uh, big time credit to uh, to their general manager um, uh, uh, McPhee. Um, he, he, he picked the pocket of a lot of GMs in that last expansion draft. It was very unique. And a lot of, uh, a lot of other GMs, I think panicked because how many draft picks was he given to take or select a certain player like, uh, Columbus, I forget what draft pick they gave. It may have been a first or second round draft pick to not select somebody else and then take William Carlson. And then William Carlson is one of their top two centers. So not only did they get a top pick, but they also get William Carlson and it goes on and on. Somebody, somebody uh, paid them to take Riley Smith and Riley Smith is one of their top six forwards. They gave them a draft pick and Riley Smith. So they didn't take somebody else. The list goes on and on. They had draft picks for days. That's how they could trade Nick Suzuki. Cause they had like four first round draft picks in that, in that expansion, maybe even five. They traded Nick Suzuki uh, to Montreal for Max Pacioretty just because they could at that time. Cause they have so many prospects. And then they traded uh, Brandstrom, one of their other top prospects, the defenseman to Ottawa for Mark Stone. And that's how they, they could load up, right? Seattle's not allowed to do that. They, they strictly have to pick a player from each roster. No team is allowed to give out uh, a draft pick and here, have this other player, anything like that. So there's no expediting. It's, um, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't think they're going to be necessarily horrible, but I don't think they're going to be Las Vegas. I think Vegas got extremely fortunate and did. big time credit to, uh, to McPhee there. He, he did an exceptional too. job. It's funny too, because George McPhee was one of the key players in building the Washington Capitals. And then he makes it to the cup final and loses basically to the team he built. Like that was just the weirdest thing. Like it's such a strange, strange time. Like it's just weird. The only shitty trade that McPhee uh, made, there, there's still one that sticks out in my mind when he was on when he was the GM of Washington. It was um, he traded Philip Forsberg. He was a prospect, believe it or not. Washington drafted Philip Forsberg. Uh, Philip Forsberg for Martin Erat. That was on a playoff run. How did that work out for you? Not too well at all. You could add Philip Forsberg paired with Alexander Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom, along with Evgeny Kuznetsov. And anyway, he probably still would have had a job and they would have won a cup uh, together. But, you know, some every every team can go down the list and uh, every team has bad trades, right? Uh, we know that, especially in Leaf history, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, no and you never know if it's going to be a bad trade either. Like, Iraq could have been one of their top producers and won them a cup. Who knows? But it's... You know, it, it's all it's all uh, rhetoric and and presumption at this point. But um, I, I think that's going to pretty much be it for this episode. I mean, we were going to talk about the series, but we'll do that on the next one. We'll uh, maybe we'll be in the conference final by then. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it was a pleasure, guys, and uh, I'm glad we could do this today. And uh, hopefully, we can get one going in the next few weeks. And once again, if you enjoyed this, please share it with your friends and give us a follow. We would really appreciate it. We're uh, just diehard hockey fans sharing our passion with other diehards. So that will do it. All right, Danny and Brett, thank you so much again, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, boys. Thank you.